Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, The Demand of the Cross, from our series, Cross Examined. Amen. What a great day to be in His house and in His presence. Amen. Amen. This morning I'm in Matthew, the 18th chapter. Matthew, the 18th chapter. It's going to be our text today. Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. That's where we're going to take our text today. Turn in your Bible, if you will, there. Amen. Follow along with me. It's great to see you back in the Lord's house. Uh, I want to say a big thank you to everyone who helped with our Women Reaching Women event on Thursday night. It was amazing. It was a great evening. Right, ladies? It was a good evening. Amen. Great time together. Uh, Carmen McLean did a wonderful job presenting Worry Keep Out. Started that and she's going to be kicking off, we're going to be kicking off a Bible study based on that night this Wednesday night in the Women's Bible Study Group that meets in the Ed Building. So ladies, if you haven't signed up for that, we've got books available today. You could go ahead and get your book and come Wednesday night and be prepared to begin that great study together. It's going to be wonderful, amen. Uh, ladies and guys, from men of it, if you, if you hosted a table at the Wild Game Dinner or if you hosted a table at the Women Reaching Women event, some of you know some people that were impacted by that event. We would love to help you follow up on those people uh, and just give them a warm invitation back to our local church. So help us if you know someone that would be benefited by that and we will do our best to reach out to them and help you pull on them to come back and attend service with us. Amen. Join us and help us in that. Amen. That would be helpful. Matthew 18 is our text today. We're in the middle of a series uh, about the cross called Cross Examined. Amen. Cross Examined. It's the Lent season. So we've got our old rugged cross back and it's draped in purple, the color of the season. Purple represents the royalty of Jesus and it also represents repentance. Repentance, the time when we settle in and focus on drawing near to God. And so that's going on in this season. Next Sunday will be Palm Sunday and we'll begin Holy Week, the journey to Easter. And so it's going to be a wonderful time. Join us for that. But today we're studying God's Word, Matthew 18, about the demand of the cross. Say that with me. The demand of the cross. We began the series by looking at the power of the cross, how that Jesus redeems us and rescues us and restores us. And we talked about that, and we also studied how that uh, what happens for us, the reason that can happen for us, is Jesus nailed our criminal record to his cross when he died there on Calvary. Colossians 2 and 14, we studied together. Well, today we're going to look at the flip side of the coin, the other side of the cross, and that is this. What does the cross demand from us? And we're going to talk about just one of the things today, the topic of that. What does the cross demand from us? And we're going to learn how that, according to God's Word, this issue of forgiveness is a two-way street. It's not just God forgives us, but the demand of the cross is we are expected to forgive others also. Forgiveness is a two-way street. God comes to save us, and salvation doesn't just form us into forgiven people. Salvation transforms us into a forgiving people. Amen? And that's what we learn in Matthew 18. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now I'll explain that number in a minute. It's lost on most of us, but it's a very big number, suffice it to say. Verse 25, but when he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave the debt. Verse 28, But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. 
So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were grieved and they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Wow. If that passage doesn't make you a little afraid, then you're not living on the same planet I'm living on, right? That's a scary passage. This is a hard saying of Jesus. I think Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. summarized the heart of this passage years ago with this statement. Dr. King said, forgiveness is not an occasional act, it is a constant attitude. Forgiveness is not an occasional act, it is a constant attitude. That certainly seems to be what Jesus is saying, isn't it? This must be the regular attitude of our life that we are forgiving people. Forgiven people are forgiving people. That's what the passage teaches us today. When we read Peter's comments, we may wonder, how did he come up with the number seven? Why seven times? Did he just pull that out of the air? Well, the answer is no. Peter actually thought he was being quite generous with his statement of seven times. The rabbis of his day taught three was the limit. If someone sins against you, you forgive them the first, the second, and even the third time. But the fourth time, you cut them off and that's it. And you don't forgive them third, three strikes and you're out. That's it. That's the rule. That's what the rabbis of Jesus' day taught. So Peter was being very generous compared to his culture. He doubled it and then added one for good measure, right? And he looked at Jesus and he thought Jesus would be proud of him seven times. Let's go seven. And Jesus looked at him and laughed and said, no, not seven, seventy times seven. And I'm sure Peter's thinking, you know, I don't even know if I can count that high. I'm a fisherman, right? And I sure don't think I could keep track of everyone in my life and whether they've hit the number 490 or not. Amen? Well, that's the point. We aren't supposed to be keeping track. We're not supposed to be keeping record at all, according to God's Word. We are to be forgiving people Why are we commanded by Jesus to live this way? To forgive times without number. To possess an unlimited capacity for mercy and showing grace to others. Well, the reason why is because this is the way God has treated us. That's that's what the parable teaches, right? God has dealt with us this way. And God treats his children like this. And he also requires that we treat his fellow children like this. This is the house rules. This is how God's kingdom operates. This is the rule the Father has laid down in his house. And that's just how it goes. You know, I had one of my kids ask me the other night, why do you get the big room in the house? Why do you get the big bedroom with the bathroom? (laughs) Yeah. You can imagine the conversation that ensued after that, right? I've already preached one sermon this weekend. Yeah. Hmm. I finally told him, you know what, I'll rent it to you. How about that? You come up with $500 a month and we'll let you move in it. Mom and dad will take the upstairs room. Yeah. No, no. There are some rules that are laid down in our house by the Father, and everyone who lives in the house must operate by those rules. Well, the Father is a forgiving Father, and He requires that the children be equally forgiving. God has forgiven us. And he insists that we forgive one another because that's the only way we can live together in the house. How many of you know that living a family, family requires a lot of forgiveness, doesn't it? Family requires a lot of I'm sorry and it's okay, I forgive you. It requires a lot of bearing and forbearing. Family takes a lot of emotional energy to pull off. It requires a lot of forgiveness. Well, so does God's family. It takes a lot of forgiveness in order to operate in the family. And that's the house rule. We are forgiven and we must forgive. Jesus tells the story of this servant who was forgiven a debt of 10,000 talents by the king to illustrate the point. Now, let me help you unpack that number 10,000 talents. Say 10,000. 
the annual revenue of the entire region of Galilee for a year was 300 talents. Did you hear me? The amount of money made by trade in the whole area of Galilee was 300 talents a year. This servant would have had to have had that much money and he would have had to pay that every year for 33 years in order to pay off the debt that he owed to the king. Wow. Let, let, me, let me try again to paint the number for you. The average wage for a servant for a day's work was one denarius. One denarius. You earned, you worked all day and you got one denarius. Do you know how many denarii 10,000 talents are? 10,000 talents is 60 million denarii. You would have to work 60 million days in order to pay back the debt. And that is if you could take everything you made and apply it to the debt and didn't have to keep any out to live on. A denarius is a day's wage. It would have taken this man 160,384 years to pay his master the debt that he owed him. Years. It's funny because the man falls before the master and says, If you'll just give me time, I'll pay back everything I owe you. And I can hear the master just laughing going, Yeah, right. Yeah. The odds of that are less than zero. There's no way he would ever be able to repay his debt. And you know that that is the picture of us in the story. We are that man. We owed an incredible debt to God's justice because of the sin that we had committed. And we could never repay that debt. We could never even scratch the surface of that debt. And God graciously bankrupted heaven to cover the cost of our debt. And he sent Jesus to the cross. And Christ paid our debt. We used to sing the little song in kids' church. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace all day long. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. That's the story of the passage. Here he is. And yet despite all the grace that this man had been shown, his servant's heart was never truly softened. His heart was never penetrated and transformed by the love and the grace of the king. And we know that because of the way he treated his fellow servant. He immediately leaves that encounter, gets up, wipes the tears from his eyes, walks out into town, finds a man that owes him a hundred denarii. Okay? He owes him three months' wages. And he grabs him around the throat and says, Pay me the money that you owe me. And has him thrown into debtor's prison because he can't immediately repay the debt. And his family has to pay the money or he sits in prison until the debt is paid. This man's heart did not grasp the enormity of the grace that had been shown to him. His heart did not ever really change under the influence of grace. And there's a problem there. I want to tell you today, there are a lot of people who sit in God's house and the reason we hold on to petty grudges is because the reality, the enormity, the, the, the massive nature of the grace that has been shown to us as forgiven sinners has never really broken over us. We've never spent enough time sitting at the foot of the cross looking up at what happened there for us. I want to tell you, if you want an exercise in understanding, you go home and rent the Passion of the Christ, and you sit down between now and Easter, and you watch every last minute of the suffering that Jesus endures there, portrayed before your eyes, and you'll begin to grasp the enormity of the price that was paid so that our debt could be forgiven. And I want to tell you, when you realize that every blow laid across his back was my sin and your sin, it'll make you rethink grace and it'll make you rethink the way we treat others who've mistreated us hear me today pastor you say it's hard I, I know forgiveness is required but 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 I don't know that I can do that well let's unpack it today number one let's talk about what forgiveness is and what it isn't number one let's look at forgiveness number one let me say what it is not it is not denial say that with me it is not denial Forgiveness is not saying, oh, it wasn't a big deal, oh, it didn't matter, oh, it's okay. No, that's not forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is more than that. It is not denying what happened. It's not saying it didn't hurt or pretending it didn't matter. In fact, you can't begin to forgive someone until you acknowledge that you've lost something. Forgiveness begins by saying, that hurt and it did matter to me what you did. Forgiveness can't even begin until we own what we lost. We confess, this bothers me. This took something from me. It cost me what you did to me. And, And I really am dealing with the weight of that. Until we give ourselves permission to acknowledge what was done to us, to name that something was taken from us, we can't begin to forgive. Many people remain stuck in the grip of bitterness because no one even validated that what happened to them was wrong. And until somebody finally comes to you and says, this was wrong and it shouldn't have happened, many of us never move past it. We need someone to acknowledge that we've been harmed. We must name what we lost and admit that it mattered very deeply. We must give ourselves permission to grieve that loss. That's not where we end. That's not where we get stuck. But you can only begin at the beginning. And that's where you start. Forgiveness is not denial. So it's not denial. And number two, it is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciling with someone. Let me explain. Forgiveness is about the past. Reconciliation is about the future. Forgiveness requires the action of one person. Reconciliation takes two people. Do you hear me? Forgiveness is what I do in my heart. Dr. Henry Cloud in his book Boundaries writes it this way. Great book. He says forgiveness is something we do in our hearts. We release someone from a debt they owe us. We write off that person's debt. We say that she no longer owes me anything. The person who owes me a debt does not have to ask my forgiveness. It's a work of grace that happens in my own heart. Reconciliation, however, takes two people. Forgiveness has to do with the past. Reconciliation is about the future. Forgiveness unhooks me from the hurtful person so that I can then make wise choices about whether or not I should keep interacting with them in the future. But forgiveness unhooks me from them and unhooks me from the pain that they caused me. If I am not forgiving them, I am still in a destructive relationship with them. You say, oh, I'm not in a relationship with them anymore. As long as you're holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness, you are still tied to that person. Even if you divorced them. Even if you buried them. You're tied to them as long as you hold on to bitterness in your heart. Do you hear me? Forgiveness is unhooking from what happened. It's disconnecting from that old past. And allowing myself to be free so I can make good, wise decisions for the future. It's not reconciliation. There are times that forgiveness leads to reconciliation. But there are times that a relationship is so broken, even that can't happen. Amen. There are times the person has died. Then how do you deal with it? Well, you can still grant forgiveness. And you can still find freedom from what happened to you. What is forgiveness? It is the release from a debt. Say that with me. It is the release from a debt. Jesus said, pray this way. In this manner, pray. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is forgiveness. It is is releasing a debt. Forgiveness means being willing to take the loss. That someone else cost you. Like Jesus on the cross, it's bearing the hurt and the pain caused by another person rather than throwing it back in their faces and making them bear the pain of what they did to you. To forgive means to write it off, to let it go, to tear up the account. It's what Jesus did to us in Colossians 2.14. He tells us that he canceled the debt. He canceled the written code that was against us by nailing it to the cross. To forgive means we will never get what that person owed us. And we just write it off the books. I'm never going to get what they owe me. I'm going to stop pretending that I will. Forgiveness means that I stop hoping for the past to be different. That's what we're doing when we hold on to bitterness. We're hoping for a different past. The past will never be any different than it is. Even God won't roll back yesterday and change what happened. He will not do it. And you and I have to be willing to let go of some things. We will never receive what we're owed from that person. We have to give up 
on that, on the hope of that. For some of us, that means grieving the childhood that never was. For others, it means uh, that we refuse to hang on to the demand uh, of what someone owed me uh, and, and to remain in unforgiveness. That's the most destructive thing that we can do. Forgiveness is releasing a debt. And when we refuse to forgive, we're constantly trying to collect. Until we forgive someone their debt, we're always trying to collect on that debt from them. And we do this in a lot of crazy ways. What do you mean? Well, number one, we do it by pleasing them. You say, no, wait a minute, I don't do that. Oh, yes, many people do. Many people have been hurt by someone, and rather than forgiving and moving on, they stay in that destructive relationship, and they keep on trying to please that person. They internalize it, and they say, the reason they treated me this way is because there must be something wrong with me. And if I was a better spouse, or I was a better son or daughter, or I was a better employee, if I would just do better and please them, they would give me the love that is owed to me. And so we stay there and we stay in the destructive relationship. We keep getting pounded by the abuser because we believe it's our fault and that if we would just do better, things would change. I want to tell you there comes a time when you must forgive and you must remove yourself from the bondage and and the abuse that is going on in that relationship. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Yes, he did, but he didn't say to remain and stay a doormat locked in with someone who's constantly beating your brains out. You don't have to do that. Amen. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to live as pleasers all of our lives. Sometimes we do it by confronting them. Say confronting. Some of us believe if we just keep confronting them over and over, they will finally see the wrong and correct it. And so some of us, we don't try to please them. Some of us, we start fighting and we start arguing. And there's constantly turmoil in our house because we think if we just keep on pointing out how they're messing up, they will see it and they will change and everything will be right. Well, sometimes people do, but I want to tell you, sometimes they don't. But if you can't be happy until they admit they did something wrong, you may never be happy. Because you don't have any control over what they do or what they see. (laughs) And you've given them the power over your life. Well, I'm preaching better than some of you are letting on this morning. Some of you know that that I'm telling the truth. I'm describing what goes on behind the closed doors of many of your houses today. Fighting. If I could just ever get him to see, I would be vindicated. He may never see, and if he sees, he may never admit. The only way you're going to be free is if you forgive regardless of what they do. Wow. Sometimes we do it by smearing them. We try to convince other people of how badly we've been treated. We hope to shame the other person or to get others to make up for what's missing in our lives because they feel sorry for us. Sometimes we do it by punishing the person who harmed us. We try to even the score. We try to get revenge. We try to get back at them for what they did. But I want to tell you, none of these things will ever repay the debt of what you lost. None of these will ever replace what was taken from you. It just doesn't work it doesn't work the only thing that works is forgiveness the only thing that works is forgiveness somebody finally just has to take the wrong and say it stops with me I'm not going to keep up with the debt I'm not going to keep trying to make you pay I'm not going to keep fighting I'm not going to keep pleasing you and stay in the abuse I forgive you and I'm stepping back And I'm just writing it off the books. I won't ever get what you owe me. And that's okay with me. I'm ready to move on. Amen. Like Elsa in Frozen, sometimes you just got to let it go. Amen. Let it go. Well, why does forgiveness matter so much? Well, that's a great question. What is forgiveness? It's release from the debt. Why does it matter so much? Let me give you a couple reasons why God is so adamant that we forgive. Why does he command us to do this? Number one, it reveals our experience with God. It is a testimony of our relationship with God. Forgiven people can forgive other people. Forgiven people can forgive other people. Jesus taught us to pray this way in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he added this caveat at the end. Verse 14 and 15. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, William Barclay makes an interesting statement about this verse. And he says, when you say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive 
those who trespassed against us, what you're really saying to God is, I want you to treat me the way that I treat other people. I want you to forgive me in the same way that I forgive others. That's what the prayer says. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive, in the same way, in the same manner that we forgive. Oh, Lord, have mercy. That's a hard prayer to pray, isn't it? If God forgave us the way we forgive other people, then that means God forgive us about half of what we did. And it'd take him about three years, right? And he'd remind us of it about every two weeks, right? Yeah. That's how many of us forgive. That's the prayer. How do you want God to treat you? God says, treat other people that way. Better yet, how has God treated you? Treat others that way. Forgiveness reveals our experience with God. In other words, we're demonstrating what has happened to us. Our forgiveness of those who've wronged us is the only right response to God's forgiving us. It doesn't earn God's forgiveness. We don't earn forgiveness by forgiving other people. God forgives us on the basis of one thing alone, the cross. Our forgiveness is tied to the atoning death of Jesus on the cross. But it is a response. I've been saved by the grace of God who paid could not pay. I don't avoid sin and try to live right in order to be saved. I avoid sin and try to live a life that pleases God because I am saved. It's a response to what God did. Hear me, living, trying to keep the commands of God doesn't earn me salvation. I try to walk in God's commands as a way of saying thank you because I've really experienced his salvation. It's the evidence of the change in my life. Forgiveness works the same way. If I have really been forgiven by God, if it's really penetrated my heart, how much grace has been shown to me, it will transform me into a gracious, forgiving person. The more conscious I am of my own shortcomings, the more indulgent I am toward the faults of others when they sin against me. When I forgive others, it is evidence I've actually felt the weight of my own sin. My heart has been broken by repentance and conviction. I've actually experienced God's forgiveness in my own heart. But if I'm stingy with my forgiveness toward others, it is evidence that my own heart has never been transformed by the grace of God poured out for me at the cross. Again, William Barclay says it this way, We've been forgiven a debt beyond all paying. For the sin, for the sin of man brought about the death of God's own Son. And if that is so, we must forgive others as God has forgiven us, or we can hope to find no mercy with Him. You see, forgiveness, it reveals our relationship with God, our experience with God. Number two, it releases us from Satan's prison. Forgiveness releases us from the prison. Now you say, wait a minute, when you forgive somebody, you release them. No, you don't. You release you. You are unhooking yourself from what they did to you. You're not releasing them. Half the time, they don't even care what they did to you. Look at them. You're stewing in it. You think about it every day. Look at them. They may not think about it ever. Who's in prison here? It isn't them. <laughs> it's us. And so when we forgive a debt, we are releasing ourselves from prison. This is the part of the parable that is so interesting. His master was angry, verse 34 says. He delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. There's a wrong way to understand that verse and there's a right way. The wrong way is this. If I don't forgive other people, God's going to torment me for not being a forgiving person. No, you're misunderstanding the passage. What he's saying is this. Unforgiveness is its own torment. Say that with me. Unforgiveness is its own torment. When I refuse to forgive someone from the heart, do you know what happens to me? I go through torment. I am tortured by my past. I'm tortured by my memories. I am constantly held prisoner. What they did to me affects my relationship with everybody else. I make other people pay for what somebody else did when I'm unable to forgive the things that happened to me in the past. I walk around locked in prison. I carry my own chains. I have chained myself to my own wrecking ball by choosing to live and operate in unforgiveness. Do you hear me? 
This is the way it works. Woe to those, to, woe to the world because of offenses, Jesus said. Offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom offense comes. Say offense. The Greek word is scandalon. It means the trigger of a trap. Whenever you would set a trap for an animal, you'd put food on the trigger. And whenever he would go and he would grab the food, the trigger would move and the animal would get trapped. He would get caught in the trap. Sort of like a mouse trap, right? You put some peanut butter on it and you pull the lever back, right? And then Fievel comes walking out of the hole and that's it. The Bible says the temptation to hold on to bitterness is like the spring on a mousetrap. When somebody does something to me and I'm tempted to not forgive and not let it go, I get trapped in the grip of that thing and it will not let me go. And eventually it will take all the joy and the peace and the love and the excitement out of my life because I won't let go. Hear me. We chain ourselves to our own trap. Beth Moore said this. She writes about her own experience. For some of you who may not know, Beth Moore, the great Christian author and Bible teacher, was sexually abused when she was a young woman. And she had to process through the pain of that. And she writes this, and I quote, Forgiveness involved my handing over to God the responsibility for justice. The longer I held on to it, the more the bondage strangled the life out of me. Forgiveness meant deferring the cause to Christ and deciding to be free of the ongoing burden of bitterness and blame. I finally came to the place where I felt sorrier for my perpetrator than I did for myself. Forgiveness means I don't feel the responsibility for carrying the burden of placing blame. When you stop trying to collect the debt, you can hand it over to God. You hand it over to God. Do you know what businesses do whenever they have a debt they can't pay? They hand it over to a collection agency. They hand it over. They say, here, if you can get anything out of them, you can get something out of them, that's wonderful. But if not, we're writing it off our books. And you know what happens if you've been handed over to a collection agency? If Providence Hospital hands you over to a collection agency, you can call Providence about your bill. And you know what they'll tell you? We don't have your bill. Your bill is with the collections department. You'll have to call this number and they can set you on a payment plan. But we don't have record of your bill anymore. You don't owe Providence anything anymore. You owe the collection agency. Now the collection agency is going to call and wear you out, right? You ever been on the end of that? That's not any fun. You know what it is when a Christian forgives? It's not saying, oh, I'm just going to let it go and nothing's ever going to happen. Oh, no, no, no. No, God will make sure that one day everyone answers for the sin that they've committed. We all have an appointment at the judgment seat one day. We will all give an account for the deeds done in the body. Whoever hurts you, you may think they've escaped. They may think they've escaped. I can promise you nobody's gotten away with anything. Ever. Nobody. My sin is either laid on Jesus at the cross or it's waiting on me at the judgment bar. It's waiting on me. You hear me? Nobody gets away with anything. Either my sin falls on me or it fell on Jesus. And that's up to you what you do with it. You hear me? If you've got half a brain, you'll settle out of court and run to the cross this morning. And see your sins nailed to his tree. Otherwise, they're waiting on you at the judgment seat. And you will give an account. And you will pay the last dime of what you owe to the justice of God. Wow. Is that true, Pastor? That's what the Bible says. But hear me today. What forgiveness means is I hand off what people owe me to the collection department of heaven and say, God, this is your score to deal with. This is your account to settle. I forgive them. I write it off. I'm going to leave this person in your hands. Whatever happens to them, I entrust them to you. I'm handing them off to you, Jesus. You deal with them. That's what forgiveness means. You see, whenever your little brother is tormenting you, you've got two choices, right? You can smack him yourself. Or you can wait till mom or daddy see it and you can let mom and daddy deal with it. Do you know what's going to happen if you smack them? They're going to deal with both of you. Forgiveness is living with the realization that nothing was ever done to me that God didn't see. God saw it. It happened in the presence of God. How can you sit there and let them do that to you and forgive them? <laughs> I'm not, I've got a daddy. My daddy saw what he did. And daddy will deal with it in his own time, in his own way. I don't have to take revenge. He's going to have to answer to somebody a lot bigger and badder than me. 
Let it go. Hand it over to God. Let God deal with it. But if you deal with it, God will let you. That won't get you very far. We Most of us have proven that in our lives, right? Why does forgiveness matter? Because it sets us free from Satan's prison house. An eye for an eye doesn't work. Nothing gets resolved that way. That wrong can never be undone, but it can be forgiven and rendered powerless. Lewis Smead said this, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. I like that. Why do we forgive? Because, number three, it reflects the truth of the gospel. The Bible says when they took Jesus to Calvary, they crucified him between two criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Ephesians 4.32 says that we're to do the same. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself as an offering and a sacrifice for a sweet-smelling aroma. Be imitators of God in this way. That's how it works. Forgiveness reflects the truth of the gospel. Well, let's close with the third question. What does forgiveness require? What does it take to forgive? Well, let, let me give you, let me give you the, the, the formula here. This is what I believe forgiveness involves. We're, we've got to learn three lessons if we're going to forgive. Number one, we have to understand. Say understand. Forgiveness requires that I understand. To forgive someone often means I have to put myself in their shoes. And that's often very hard to do. If I've been hurt, I usually can only see things from my own vantage point. But forgiveness often begins whenever I put the shoe on the other foot and I stop and I put myself in their situation and I think, what does this look like from their point of view? How are they looking at this situation? Why did they act like that to me? You know what? Sometimes if we put ourselves in the other person's situation, we begin to understand that there are reasons why people do what they do. All of us have excuses for why we do what we do. Well, you know what? So do other people. And sometimes they're excuses and sometimes they're legitimate reasons. But people don't do things in a vacuum. People do things because stuff is running through their mind. And we have to understand that. There's always a reason people do things. They may be worried. They may be in pain. They may have misunderstood our intentions. They have, may have been misinformed about something that we did. There may have been damage by their own past. They may be hurting from something going on in their life. They may not even realize how hurtful their words are at came across to us but to forgive starts with trying to understand the other person my professor Bill Urey used to say the herder always hurts worse than the herd ed I don't know if you've ever tried to pick up a dog that's been injured or not and take him to the vet I had a dog that got hit by a car one time and I tried to scoop him up and put him in the back of the truck and get him to the vet I tell you what he just about tore up my right arm all I was trying to do was help him, but he was hurt, and when I touched him, it hurt more, and he came out after me. You know what? Sometimes people do that. Sometimes people bite when they're hurt. Say that with me. Sometimes people bite when they're hurt. Can I tell you, sometimes you've been hurt, and you have to stop and realize that person was hurt. We must be careful not to depersonalize those who've hurt us. Our tendency is to reduce people in our mind to what they did. You don't believe it? There are some people, every time you see them and every time you think about them or you see their picture or hear their name, all you think about is what they did to you or what they said to you. You have reduced them in your mind to their actions or their words. And we have to stop and remember, a person is more than one bad encounter I had with them. There is more to that person than what they said or did to me. That's a human being made in the image of God and they have feelings like I do and they've got a past just like me and they've got baggage just like me and maybe they're broken and hurting and maybe I don't have all the facts and maybe I can show some grace like I need other people to do to me sometimes. Forgiveness begins by understanding. We have to understand. Number two, we have to forget. Say forget. Whoa, wait a minute, preacher. There is no way I can forget what they did to me. Well, you can and you can't. It depends on what you mean by forget. If you mean I can erase from my memory the memory of what happened, then no, you can't do that. You and I don't have the ability to go back and erase the file of what they did in our brain. We can't do that. 
But I tell you what we can do. We can stop letting those memories have power over the way we act today. And that is what the Bible means by forgetting. Forgetting those things which are behind. I still remember them, but I refuse to live in light of them anymore. To forget what someone did to you is the same thing. It is choosing not to live under the weight of it. Once upon a time in their marriage, Saul Rosenberg did something really dumb. His wife, Ethel Rosenberg, chewed him up for it. He apologized and they made up. However, from time to time, Ethel would mention what he had done. One day, Saul said, Honey, why do you keep bringing that up? I thought our policy was forgive and forget. It is, she said. I just don't want you to forget that I've forgiven and forgotten. (laughs) Clara Barton was the founder of the American Red Cross. Someone was very vicious to her one day for something she'd done um, years before. She acted um, as if she did not remember or had never even heard of the incident. Don't you remember it, her friend asked her. Barton said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. Some of us need to distinctly remember forgetting some things today. Be careful of people who say, I can forgive, but I can never forget. We may not be able to forget the events, but Christ can take from those memories of ours the old bitterness that we must forget, Barclay says. Paul Walker, the pastor at Mount Perrin Church of God years ago, once counseled a couple on the brink of divorce, and the man said, I refuse to spend another night with her and her little black book. She literally wrote down everything that he did that was wrong. And he said, I refuse to live with her and her little black book one more night. No one can live in that kind of atmosphere. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. Corey Ten Boom was told of not being able to forget a wrong that had been done to her. If you remember, she survived the concentration camps of Germany. She had forgiven the person, but she kept rehashing the incident and she couldn't sleep at night. Finally, she cried out to God to help put the problem to rest. She went and spoke to an old pastor in Germany, and the pastor explained to her this way. He said, here's how this works, Corey. Up in the church tower, there is a bell, and you ring that bell by pulling on the rope. And every week, the sexton pulls the rope five or six times. But when he lets go of the rope, the bell keeps ringing a few more times. But it rings more and more slowly. And finally, it rings one last great dong, and then it rings no more. And the pastor said to her, he said, that's sort of the way it works with forgiveness. When we take our hand, when we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we shouldn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep rolling through our head like the tolling of a bell. They're just the ding-dongs of a bell slowing down. But if we'll stop pulling on the rope, Eventually, those memories will slow down, and then they won't come so often, and when they do come, they'll lose their sting, and then we'll realize we don't really think about them much at all anymore. What we've got to do today is let go of the rope. That's what forgiveness is. Let go of the rope. A grudge is the only thing that won't get better if you nurse it. You hear me? It won't get better if you nurse it. It'll get worse. We have to let go of the rope. Corey Ten Boom said, it proved to be so in my life. These memories came less and less often, and finally they stopped. And we can trust God above our emotions and above our thoughts, and we can forgive from the heart. We can stop trying to collect the debt. Stop holding it over the person's head. The memory doesn't go away, but it loses power over us. Jensen Franklin said it this way, forgiveness is not about keeping score, it's about losing track. Seventy times seven, we just lose track because we aren't even keeping up. We let go of the debt. What will forgiveness require? It will require me to forget. It will require me to understand. And lastly, it will require me to love. Perhaps the hardest thing Jesus ever said was this. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good, Paul says, Romans 12 and 20. You may not feel loving, but love is not a feeling, it is an action. Love is a verb. Feelings make bad leaders, but good followers. As the writer of the movie Fireproof once said, don't follow your heart, lead your heart. Do what God commands you to do. I want you to stand all over the Lord's house this morning. Jesus died on the cross to cancel our debts. 
And His grace doesn't just change us into forgiven people. It transforms us into forgiving people. That's the whole point of today's message. When by God's grace we choose to let God be the judge, let Him deal with those who've wronged us, we walk out of Satan's bondage of bitterness, we experience freedom from the past. When we truly catch a glimpse of how great a debt our Savior paid for us to forgive us, our forgiven hearts overflow with gratitude in the form of mercy toward those who've sinned against us. That's how it happens. When we choose to walk in love and forgiveness, we offer them a taste of the grace that God offered us in hopes that they will come to the cross like we did. You see, the best way to get rid of your enemies is to turn your enemies into your friends by forgiving them and leading them to the cross where God changed your life. Come to the cross. Realize your need of forgiveness. Forgiveness starts, the Puritan preacher said, when I recognize that I've done more harm to God in a single hour than this could do to me in my whole lifetime. When we recognize the enormity of our sin and our guilt against God and how great the forgiveness of God is, we can forgive others. Ask God to fill your heart with His love, to release you from the prison of bitterness. Verbalize and express that forgiveness through some act of kindness to someone this week. Some of you need to write down the names of those who've been living rent-free in your head, and you need to leave them on the altar today. Some of you need to, by an act of your will, let go of the rope today. Pastor, I don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can. This is not about your feelings. It's an act of our will. It is a decision that we make. And our feelings eventually will catch up with our decision. Feelings make bad leaders, but they're good followers. We have to do what we ought to do. And then our feelings will catch up. <laughs> Pastor, I don't feel like filling out a pledge card. You never will. <laughs> we do what we ought to do and we let our feelings follow. I don't feel like forgiving. You never will. We do it. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. He sweat great drops of blood for us. But at the end of the argument, it was not about him and us. It was between him and God. Father, not what I will, but what you will be done. You see, the reality today is this. And, and this is the last thing I'll say about it. And this is the most pointed way I know to put it to you. Your forgiveness issues are really not between you and the person who hurt you. They're between you and God because it is God who commands and requires you to forgive. And if you don't forgive, then really what you're cutting off is not your relationship with the person who hurt you. You're turning the tap of grace off over your own head that runs down over your life. You're cutting off your nose to spite your face, as my grandma used to say. I never understood what that meant until I got older. But that's what we're doing. Hear me today. Who do you need to forgive? Pastor, how do I do it? Make a decision. That by God's grace, I'm going to write off the debt. I'm going to let them go. I'm going to stop trying to collect it. I'm going to hand them over to God. And every time the memory comes back, I'm going to go back in my mind to this Sunday morning. And I'm going to say, nope, I have forgiven them. Nope, I've forgiven. I've forgiven. I've written it off. Pastor, you don't know what they did. No, I don't know what they did. The only thing that I know for sure is this. I know that one night, the weight of my own sin broke over my heart. And I saw very clearly in my own life how great a debt I owed God for my sin. I know that one night, I looked to the cross and I saw the enormity of the price that had been paid for me on Calvary. And at some point in our life, we have to cross the bridge and say, if God could love me that way, if God could forgive me like that, then how can I hold on to the debt anybody else owes me for anything in the world? If we want the forgiveness of God, we have to turn loose of what we're holding in our hands. You can't hold on to the bill that other people owe you and reach up and take hold of your pardon at the same time. Your hands are very small. You can hold your pardon or you can hold your debt of what other people owe you. 
What do you want in your hand when you stand before Jesus on the last day? I don't want what other people owe me. I want a pardon signed in the blood of Jesus. Let it go. It is a millstone around your neck. Turn it loose. It is drowning you. Well, I'm going to make them pay. You will do no such thing. You're not God. You're not that strong. All you will do is ruin your own life. Stop it. Stop it. We have a generation today that they take razor blades and they cut themselves. And I hear adults that say, I don't understand why anybody would do something so stupid as that. Then why are you doing it? You sit in a room and dredge up the stuff that happened to you. It's like, this is what you're doing. You do understand it because you do it. You relive it. You rehash it. The cross means I can be free. Not only for what I've done. The cross means I can be free from whatever anybody else did to me. And for some of you, that's almost as good a news as the first. Not only can I be free from what I did, but it means I don't have to live in what they did to me. I don't have to live another day under the weight of what they did to me. I don't have to be a prisoner to their abuse. I don't have to live my life under the shame of what they did to me, how they harmed me. I can be free. And my freedom means I can release them from their sin. And God can release me from my sin. And I can walk out of here free. Don't you want to be free? Don't you want to breathe the clean air of heaven today? Don't you want to live in the kingdom? <laughs> you can. You can. How do you do it? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You let go of both ropes at the same time, friend. They're pulling you in two. Let go. Pray with me. Father, I've done my best to take a very difficult topic and make it understandable for us today. Lord, I pray that I've done justice to your word. I pray, God, today that somebody's heart today has been pricked and challenged. I pray that somebody here today has seen the truth that, Lord, what they're really doing is they're choosing to stay in prison. Lord, I pray today that someone right now, right now in this place, would make a decision of their will to say, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to get along with God today. I'm going to pray this thing through. I'm going to hand them over to Jesus. I'm going to grant forgiveness. I'm going to let God deal with them and I'm going to let God forgive me of my sin and I'm going to turn them loose of theirs Lord I pray today that somebody today will turn loose the rope right off the bill turn loose of the little black book and reach out and grab hold of your cross where shame is forgiven I pray today that some people will get free not only from what they've done but from what's been done to them by coming to the cross this name God's people said we're going to sing we're going to give you an opportunity to come. If you need to come and pray, someone will meet you here. If not, we're going to go in a moment. We're going to sing and we're going to thank God. We're going to thank God because you know what? The only way you and I are in the family is because of the Father's grace and forgiveness. Let's take a moment and sing about grace and forgiveness today. Chad, lead us today as we sing. The altar's open if you need to pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at the Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.